This is Soccer City. This week, the New York Times called him the soccer broker you never heard of. Whether you have or not, Charlie Stilitano is a large figure on the soccer landscape, the executive chairman of the International Champions Cup. There's a long, long history, and I think that, you know, we forget that soccer before World War II was really a force in this country. In a driving rainstorm at Yankee Stadium, the New York City Football Club dispatched the Colorado Rapids 4 to nothing, with midfielder Alex Ring playing center back. No big deal for the Helsinki native. Football is simple. You make decisions and you try to make the right ones. Also a preview of this Friday's Houston Dynamo match with TV play-by-play guy for the Dynamo, Glenn Davis. The Right to Dream Academy is a nonprofit school and soccer academy that has provided life-changing opportunities for both boys and girls in Ghana. And they're celebrating their fifth anniversary in the United States with a cocktail party benefit on June 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Here in the U.S., over 40 children have benefited with full high school scholarships to some of the top boarding schools in the country, including a young man who tends goal in the Bronx for the Fordham Rams men's soccer team, Rashid Nuhu. Nathaniel Nat Bakoy, he's played the role of mentor for Nuhu. Bakoy is a Right to Dream Academy graduate himself, and he also played his college soccer at Fordham. And although he had aspirations to play professionally, the Ghanaian-born Bakoy took his studies seriously and is currently the coordinator of community relations and player care for New York City FC. I recently sat with Nat Bakoy to take a glimpse at the inner workings of the Right to Dream Academy. How are players scouted? How are they discovered? So um, it's very tough when they come to your hometown and uh, they scout to get players. So usually what they do is they announce that they're going to be there and then they get a lot of kids come in and then they would look at them, they would do all the necessary testing and everything and then maybe out of a thousand, maybe ten will be selected to come try out at the academy. So it's a very, very, very hard. Depending on your family situation, uh, your income, uh, I, I would imagine when they come and you're someone who's been through it, so when they come to your town, this tryout, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, there is. And also at this point where a lot of people have heard about the Right to Dream program, the David Combs who played there, played on the Ghana national team. Majid Waris plays on the Ghana national team as well. Uh, they heard that people travel to the States to go to school and play soccer. People travel to the UK to go to school and play soccer and end up playing professional. So everyone wants to be in those shoes. So that's what you know, push people to be able to be part of the um, the tryout. So everyone wants to be at the top. Everyone wants to be at the academy. So it gets tough. I would imagine those tryout games are uh, rather competitive. They might be worth the price of admission. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. And uh, if you're not careful, you might lose a leg or anything, something like that. But it is, yeah, it's very competitive. It's, you know, as hard as it gets, you also have it in the back of your head, you know, what, what am I going to gain out of this? What is someone that I know doing right now that went through the program and I want to see myself up there? So that's what people think of mostly when they come over and try out for the academy. And then if they're able to be selected and, you know, go up and play in that level, you know, they put all their best because they know that they work really hard to get there. The young man, uh, Rashid Nuhu, a senior at Fordham, goalkeeper there. Uh, he's been through the academy. He started out in a high school situation in Connecticut, so that happens as well. It's not just coming from Ghana into a collegiate program, but sometimes integrated on the secondary school level. 
Yes. So usually, you know, if you graduate from the academy, you're around the age of, you know, 16, 17, 18. And that allows you to be able to be placed depending on your academic um, your academic level. So uh, Rashid, in his, you know, in his instant, was able to come to the Kent School in Connecticut, where he played soccer there and also went to a school, a phenomenal boarding school. He stayed on campus and, you know, did everything the school wanted, which was great. And then that's where the Fordham coach was able to see Rashid and then saw that, hey, this is, you know, somebody we need to get in the program because he's he showed, you know, good character. Kent, he heard a lot about him. And also he's been able to, um, you know, play well in the sense that he could be able to play at that top level in college. So he right away he just, you know, got him on. And also – I went to Fordham, so he came over to ask me about Rashid, and, you know, all I could do was to sell it to him because he was a good person in general and also hard worker and also a good player. And the academy uh, provides the financial support in all, in all manners for a kid like Rashid? Yes, so when you get recruited to the academy, that's it. You don't, you don't pay anything. It's just you're on full scholarship. There's, you get food at the academy. You live in the, at the academy. You, all you do is to play soccer, go to school you know, do homework and, you know, do all the necessary stuff that you need to be able to develop. And also, if you have the opportunity to travel, you have that background to work with as well. So um, everything is provided for you at the academy. I'm visualizing uh, young men in Ghana because the academic side of this is stressed so much. And maybe you can give me more of a feel for this, that uh, is, is the entire population given that opportunity to really provide for themselves academically uh, is or is that a difficult part of this equation too how, how do you develop in that manner yeah it's it's very hard and i think this this is a difficulty at the academy as well or anywhere else in ghana because people think of when they play soccer they are leaving school to go play soccer they don't want to go through the whole school things that's why they decide to be playing soccer um but then now it's changed so much that you cannot even, you know, play at the top level without not being able to read or write. So that's also a big thing that needs to be developed, and it's going really well at, the, at this point. But that's what it is in Ghana. Most people who play soccer are considered still as the illiterate, who the people who cannot read or write. But that's what Right to Dream is looking to change to make sure that this person um, went through the program went to college, played soccer at the top level, and now he's, you know, maybe the next president of his country or maybe a minister of his country. So that's what the academy is looking to promote, and uh, that's all we all sign up for, and that's what we all want to be. Have you seen any uh, favorable effects? Has there has there been an adjustment? Can, can you see it on the landscape of how maybe uh, the education is more important for young men? It it is, and I think maybe I should. May, I'm not going to boast, but I would put myself as you know one of the fruits that come out from the academy because I um, I enjoy playing soccer, and I still believe I can play it no matter what, and I still play because I like to play for fun. Um, and fortunate enough for me, I didn't get to play professional, you know, but. I am working with an amazing club, New York City Football Club, and um, I get to use my skills that I learned from college and rather than using the skills that I learned on the field, even though, yeah, I use it still, but it's still great to you know be able to know that, hey, I went through the academy. All I thought was I was going to play soccer. 
I studied at the academy as well. Came to high school and you know college here, and then I gained a degree, and I'm and I'm working at the front office of New York City Football Club, which I think is a big big thing because um, that's what the academy is all about, and that's what I wanted to be. So when you were a young boy, prior to the academy's existence, did you have something you could grab onto? Did you have the hopes and to use the words of the academy, the dreams? I had the hope that, yeah, I can either play or be able to, you know, go to school and gain a degree and be in a good position. I didn't want to be, you know, sitting somewhere not doing anything, thinking everything will come to me. It it all comes in hard work. So, you know, I worked really hard to be, you know, the next best soccer player. But at the same time, I worked really hard to be the next, you know, best person working in a good company or, you know, even (laughs) I'm thinking about maybe setting up something on my own you know yet you could have been in that illiterate group so what what pushed you in the right direction I think I think more of the soccer part because I feel like um soccer was able to get me out there and then also the little bit of education that Right to Dream provided to it got me hooked because as much as I want to play I also wanted to study so I think it was a good two-way thing for me to have. I cannot ask for more <laughs> rather than, you know, doing two things that I really love. Well, maybe I love the soccer more because school is a little bit hard, but <laughs> still I was able to, you know, work hard through it and I was able to be, you know, come out successful through college and all the stuff, yeah. Well, you've seen the Ghanaian players that have uh, moved themselves into the top echelon of the professional ranks. Where does Rashid fit in? What do you, uh, how do you predict his future? Well, um, I don't want to be talking too early on Rashid's future, but uh, hopefully, you know, obviously he wants to play. He's he's a good goalkeeper. He's had an amazing uh, three years at Fordham. He knows, and I talk to him about this all the time, that, hey, soccer is not going to be forever in your life, so you have to make sure that you have something in your back pocket. That's why he's very keen on staying at Fordham and also studying and getting his degree. That's Nat Bacoy, Right to Dream Academy graduate, now in the front office for NYCFC. I did visit Fordham recently to meet with Rashid Nuhu, his story, and the tale of a magical season at Fordham University on the next episode of Soccer City. Charlie Stilitano, he's the son of native Italian parents, a diehard AC Milan supporter. He's a Jersey boy. The Pingree School, then Princeton University, captain of both sides, All-American at Princeton. He went on to become the site director at Giants Stadium for the 1994 World Cup. General manager of the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars in the early days of Major League Soccer. Currently, the uh, executive chairman of Relevant Sports, therefore uh, the kingpin of this International Champions Cup, or ICC, back for its sixth summer in the States and across the globe, and also co-host of the popular football show heard every morning on Sirius XMFC. Charlie, welcome. How are you? Great, Glenn. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. So what do you credit more, the Italian blood or the Jersey blood you know, for, for the, <laughs> the, the remarkable career that you've had? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's so remarkable, but I will say this to you, that there's a, a great deal of pride. And one thing I always say is that in the old days, this was our not a calling card, but really, you know, we judged ourselves based on, you know, your heritage. And it was the Italian national team, you know, hugely important to us growing up. And it was a point of reference that we had that immigrants had. And we were proud of being Italians or Germans or or English or Irish or whatever it might be. 
uh, Brazilian, Argentinian, and, and so much of what, you know, how we presented ourselves out there was based on 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 soccer, really. And, you know, look, uh, you know, and I, I learned early on that not all uh, people in this world are alike. Uh, I learned early on from my dad that you should respect everyone. And what was so cool about that was that, you know, we knew the differences between the way Argentinians played and Chileans played and, and Brazilians played and Germans played and Italians played. And it was funny that you had that, you know, that point of reference and that source of pride was where you're from. And I, and I think the same can be said for Jersey and so many of the wonderful players and Tony Miola and Johnny Harks and Peter Vermees and, of course, Tab Ramos and, and Claudio Reina and, and Greg Berhalter. The list goes on and on. There's a long, long history, and I think that, you know, we forget that soccer before World War II was really a force in this country. And uh, even, you know, the great 1950, uh, uh, you know, the 1950 World Cup beating Brazil, uh, you know, I mean, excuse me, beating England in Brazil was still still seen as the number one upset of all time. Right. Uh, and and this is something that, you know, the, the sort of the second wave, I'll call it the the second wave, I'll call the cosmos wave. Right. Because that first wave sort of came and, and, and went and we were uh, after that point. You know, when we were kids, Glenn, they would call it a foreign sport, right? Soccer was a foreign sport. Uh, and then this, the second wave was the Cosmos, who really, yeah, it was still very much a foreign sport. And, you know, the Steve Ross, who, who Time Warner, who, who owned the Cosmos at the time, ran the Cosmos at the time, he said, well, I'll get a new ethnic player every year. So I'll get the best Turkish player. I'll get the best Iranian player. I'll get the best Italian player. I'll get the best English player. And he suddenly formed the team. And at Giant Stadium, he had suddenly 77,000 people showing up. And, uh, you know, I was a kid and still remember in those days. Uh, you know, I remember coming back from uh, a game against Brown University, getting off the, the bus on the highway, asking a guy to stop the bus to go see Pele's last game. So, you know, I, I've been through a lot, and the third phase has got to be really started by, you know, the World Cup in 94, and I was lucky enough to be the venue director for Giant Stadium. Uh, and then that, that morphed beautifully into where we are today, into the, you know, I'll call it the third phase of soccer in this country, uh, you know, or MLS's great success. So, uh, look, uh, we've been through a lot. God, I'm getting old. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you on the elder side for just a, a minute. AC Milan, you're such a supporter. Uh, your love comes out when we listen to you on the football show, and your disgruntled <laughs> moments and, and and everything else about the club. But in those days, in in the 70s, when we were both uh, growing up through high school and college, there were, you couldn't watch AC Milan on TV unless you went. And I'm wondering if you did this. Did you get the rabbit ears up and go on UHF and watch it on uh, RAI? They weren't, they weren't rabbit ears. They were uh, a circular antenna. Uh, that, well, I that, had rabbit I don't ears. Know, I don't know why it was it was circular in our house. And the UHF <laughs> was that. Channel 41 used to carry only half the game. Uh, and, you know, as a kid, I couldn't understand why it only had half the game. Uh, but it had... Uh, 
but the reality is that we were uh, I guess they only had an hour. That must have been it. You know what I mean? They, looking back yeah. at it now and knowing the business world now of sport, they probably only could buy an hour worth of time. And they would play the second half, and a guy would come on and comment, here's what happened in the first half, blah, blah, blah. And then they would show the second half. So there's wonderful things like seeing Maldini's first appearance. My dad and his buddies started the Italian-American Soccer League. Again, I keep you know, I played as a kid in the German-American Soccer League. But my dad and his buddies used to bring games back in the 70s. Uh, you know, I still remember this wonderful game with Giorgio Canaglia, Lazio, coming over and playing Santos. And you need to understand that that Santos team had seven players from the 1970 World Cup team. Uh, so Roosevelt Stadium in, in Jersey City, where Pele was playing, and in those days he had to run off the field before the end of the game because they would maul him. And this Santos team played against, I think, Giorgio's Lazio team won the Scudetto the next year, a great team. Uh, and Giorgio was this up-and-coming, just handsome striker. Uh, and Santos was beating him pretty badly, 3-0, and Lazio gets a penalty kick. And I'm a ball boy, right? I'm a ball boy. And all of a sudden, they wave to Pele. You see the manager wave to Pele, and he just runs off the field. Before he can get 10 yards... There's 5,000 people on the field. At Roosevelt Stadium, it probably held 10,000 people or 20,000 people. It had to be 30,000 in the building, right? Runs on the field. He's taking off first his shoes, giving them to people, then his socks, then his shirt, then his everything. And people are mauling him. Like, it's just incredible. And he's throwing clothes off, and he gets off just in his jockstrap. Uh, meanwhile, the Jersey City police are on horseback, you know, just beating all us immigrants, right? Uh, just taking whacks at people. Uh, and uh, he says he says to me and my buddy, get in the goal, get in the goal. My buddy Higgs, who passed away, said, get in the goal. So we got in the goal. And who was taking the penalty kick with 5,000 people on the field? Giorgio Canaglia. Kicks the ball into the empty net as he's elbowing people away. I remember it like it was yesterday. Years and years later, I'm on the football show with Giorgio, and he says to me, uh, yeah, you know, we're talking about my dad and our history of bringing games and things and love of the game. And he says, yeah, I remember playing, uh, we lost uh, three to one. And I said, Giorgio, he lost three nil. He goes, no, 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 we lost three to one. I scored a penalty kick. I said, Giorgio, I was in goal. There was no players on the field. He said, I scored. I counted it, and that's it. Well, this passion that you have, Charlie, you know, it's gone from step to step. And so this must be beyond thrilling for you. I know it's a business as well, but the, the when you look at the list of teams here, it's your sixth summer uh, with the ICC. The first thing I think of is why would teams want to travel overseas for their preseason? Managers are so particular about how how the team develops during that six-week period and prepares themselves for the season. So what is it that uh, that you were able to convince them that this, this is a good thing, this is the place to be? The hardest thing was to convince the managers to play in these games, let's call them, you know, real games, uh, because... Uh, right, because it's, nor it's different than the preseason friendlies. Uh, yeah, that, it that, is. That maybe they're used to, right? It is, and I think that... You know, we started August 8th, 2002 uh, with uh, Real Madrid versus Roma. And this just gives you some sense of things. And I remember Paul Gardner, uh, our friend and, and wonderful writer, standing up and saying, uh, 
in front of all these cameras. And Del Bosque was the manager of Real Madrid and Fabio Capella was the manager of, of Roma. Uh, and he said, uh, and Paul said, what's the big deal? This is just a friendly match, which is a fair enough point, right? Uh, and then Capello says, wait a minute. Do you see who's on his dais? And by the way, the dais was Zidane, Figo, Roberto Carlos, Totti, uh, Cafu. And he says, when you put these guys in front of each other in a full stadium, there's no such thing as a friendly match. That's Charlie Stilitano, his ICC coming to the Metropolitan Area for three matches, July 25th, Liverpool-Manchester City at MetLife, July 28th, Benfica-Juventus, that'll be at Red Bull Arena, August the 7th, Real Madrid-Roma back at MetLife. New York City FC remained perfect at Yankee Stadium on Saturday afternoon in the Bronx on David Villa Day, celebrating 400 career goals via delivering his 16th brace in Major League Soccer in the 4-0 round over the Colorado Rapids via with goals number 6 and 7 on the season, the 69th and 70th overall for New York City, and numbers 403 and 404 in all competitions. City head coach Patrick Vieira, he has spent two-plus seasons with the all-time leading scorer for Spain. At one time admiring Villa from a distance, Vieira now even more impressed. Something I didn't know about him was this um, professionalism, uh, the way that he's looked after himself, the time that he spent uh, with the physios, the way that he's really focused on the details for him to be fit uh, to play the games. And that is the reason why he's been playing so well at this age and keep scoring goals. Villa will turn 37 on December the 3rd. That's five days before the probable date for the MLS Cup final. The dominant performance was signaled by a change in the system by Vieira, and that may have caught the Rapids off guard. Instead of a back four, Vieira elected to utilize three at the back. Villa himself applauded the alteration, saying it was vital as the team progresses through the season. It's really important because I saw that in, in the Red Bull game and in the Portland game that uh, the two teams know perfectly that were, uh, what is our strong and they defend him very well. So that happened in, in other games and it's important to have another ways to, to play. A critical figure in the shape adaptation was the normal holding midfielder Alex Ring, who dropped back a notch and was anchoring the back line between Sebastian Ibiaga and Alexander Collins. Yeah, if I played as a six, it's, a, it's the same. It's a, For me, it wasn't that much different. I mean, I play with the guys every day in practice in games now, so I think it was okay. Football is simple. You make decisions and you try to make the right ones. Well, majority of City's decisions at home this season have been favorable. Five wins in five matches while outscoring their opponents 15-2. to two. City goalkeeper Sean Johnson says the unique nature of Yankee Stadium provides an edge for the boys in blue. For us, it's a huge advantage just to, to know um, know the grass, know you know the, the dimensions of the field, know everything as far as the atmosphere and the surroundings. So I'm used to it now. Um, but for teams that come in, uh, they may say it's a little bit difficult to adjust to, um, just because everything's different. It's not your your typical you know stadium setup. As for Ring, he's got a different take on the soccer yard in the Bronx. I mean, for me, it's just an excuse to say Yankee Stadium is this, and it's the same for us. Uh, we don't complain when we go. We go on away games if they have turf or whatever. So, uh, yeah, for me, I don't accept that. Well, Ring, Johnson, and their mates will play six of their next eight at the stadium. One of the road matches 
It'll be this Friday at the Houston Dynamo. So let's bring in the TV play-by-play guy for the Dynamo, a longtime voice of U.S. soccer who will be part of the World Cup coverage for Fox this summer, Glenn Davis. Glenn, welcome to the program, man. How are you? Well, it's always nice to say hello to another Glenn, so thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. But I appreciate the, the fact that you spell it properly with two N's as well. <laughs> uh, time we get that movement going around the world. <laughs> uh, the Dynamo coming off uh, a 3-2 road win. They, they don't win on the road that often against the Chicago Fire on Sunday. What's your early season assessment? Well, I think this, this road win, I don't, I don't think there's any question this was very, very important for the Houston Dynamo because I think, as you know, Glenn, you know, in this league, if, if you have a problem on the road getting results and it becomes habitual, it can sometimes lead you into a downward spiral. And that's why I think this went over Chicago, although it wasn't exactly pretty, I would say, and it didn't come in the easiest of manners. At this point, it doesn't matter. They got three points on the road. It's something they can wrap their arms around. Now, this is just the second year under Wilmer Cabrera, the head coach, in his first year. Houston advances to the postseason for the first time in four years. It would appear from the outside looking in uh, that uh, things have progressed well under Cabrera. Yeah, I I mean, I think you have to be certainly careful. Uh, You and I know that in this league, things can go up and down. I no doubt there is progression from Wilmer Cabrera. What he did last year, I think, part, you know, also with his influence on putting a roster together and getting players like Albert Elise and Ramel Kyoto that add some real threat and danger to a team that really was very methodical, overall one of the slowest in the league. Um, Wilmer, I think, has done a wonderful job. Um, the roster has been revamped, but, you know, year two is it's like the slate is cleaned again. You know, is this team going to platform above where they were last year and I think that's the question that remains all right they're four three and three at the moment Uh, regarding Cabrera he's used a a different starting 11 in all 10 matches this season and since 2017 his arrival as the first team coach 42 different starting lineups in 44 matches now I'm first wondering is this a Colombian thing because Juan Carlos Osorio the Mexican national team coach it suggested at times that he changes things up too often what is the uh, Cabrera thought uh, down in Houston yeah I think I think a lot of this I think it's done for a couple of reasons I think number one it's done to create a competitive environment I do think when you have a rotation policy you better be getting results though because there are definitely players that walk away every day unhappy and walk away especially when it comes to maybe strikers and attacking positions that want a level of consistency and you know when that's taken away that can sometimes that can be problematic keeping everybody happy so that's one I think part of it also though Glenn has come because of uh, injuries and and dealing with injuries especially uh, with the back four this year where there's been a lot of injury problems holding midfielder Juan David Cabezas is well injured but um I always am fascinated to watch managers, you know, who have this sort of a policy um, because uh, it, it is about managing people and it is about keeping people happy. And, and the other thing last year, I think, too, we have to remind ourselves is that there was a lot of international call-ups, uh, you know, for Albert Elise, La Pantarita, Ramel Kyoto, uh, Boniac Garcia. Well, we mentioned Albert Elise a couple of times. You did. Uh, a goal or an assist in eight of the ten matches he's played in this season. Is he the player NYC needs to be most concerned with? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't. I, he's ultimately going to end up in Europe, in my opinion. I think he's going to be a 15- to 20-goal scorer this year. 
He is an incredibly motivated young man. He's 22 years of age. Uh, he's got the best goal celebration, I believe, in, in soccer where he gets on the ground and, you know, imitates a panther slowly stalking its prey. That's Glenn Davis, the Houston Dynamo TV play-by-play guy. A couple of final NYCFC notes. It did become official on Monday. David Villa not selected to the 23-man World Cup roster for Spain. And amid reports that a club in France's top tier has a strong interest in Patrick Vieira, the city head coach emphasized that one of his jobs is to keep the team focused on their task. I am the leader of, of, of the group, of the team, and I will have to... To show that the example, I have to keep them under pressure. I have to be put myself under pressure to perform and try to get the best of them. And um, everything outside of that is something that I can't control. Well, that'll do it for Soccer City. Our next broadcast is Friday night, May 25th, when NYCFC plays at Houston, airtime, 8.45 p.m. This is Glenn Crooks, hoping that you enjoy your week of soccer.